0: Welcome to Q&A Selling Online, with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur,
1: Quinn Amorm. Welcome to the show, my friends. Today, we have a special guest who is a CFP, a CEPA, CVGA. He's the owner of Financial Simple, and he's a nationally recognized financial planner, financial educator a wealth manager, an author speaker, and a serial entrepreneur. He's been in business for over 20 years. He's bought his first business. They didn't buy it. He started it when he was 15 and he sold it a few years later. So he had over 20 years experience of buying, owning, and selling businesses. He also recently published his first book, The Ultimate Sell. And we'll talk about it here today. We have with us Justin Goodbread. How's it going, Justin?
0: Quinn, man, I'm blessed, buddy. Too blessed to be depressed is what I told somebody today. Having a good time.
1: Very good. So I think I butchered your name by the, uh, the business, Financially Simple. Uh, that's actually a pretty good name because it's straight to the point and tells yeah. exactly what it is.
0: So. Yeah, so Financially Simple, is a, um, it's a education portal. It's one of my four businesses that I currently own. Basically, I give away 99.99% of the information that I have in my head. And the information from the people that I know, we give it away. I believe that um, the more that you give away, the more that you will reap and reward Yes, individually. I'm a believer in abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. So Financially Simple is the portal that I teach, concepts that I've learned over the last 25 years of being a self-employed business owner. And uh, the last 25 years of starting and selling three businesses for a profit thus far, and I've got a couple more that I'll be selling at some point. So it's where I teach. We have a blog. We have a, a podcast. We have all sorts of fun stuff there.
1: Amazing. I agree with that attitude—the 99% giving. Because the more you give, the more you you get back. And uh, I guess there's a third one like us, Gary V. You probably Oh yeah. Is, yeah,
0: you know Gary V is he's my inspiration, man. He um <laughs> I can't be as colorful as he is. It's just not my personality type. But I was riding down the road, dude, about like maybe four years ago, listening to him speak, crushing it. Right. So this guy's reading his audible book and I'm like, listen, to this guy, I'm like, dude, that is so me. And if this clown can do it, I can do it. So I, I started the company financially simple and man, because of Gary Vee's influence I, in my life, our company went from like nothing to national presence. It just because of some of the concepts and the motivation that he does. So he's a rock star. I, I love the guy.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I, sometimes I watch him and he's inside an Uber going somewhere and he's recording and I'm like, Man, I wonder if there's any part of the day where he's actually relaxed with without people around him and recording. It just seems like he's always doing something.
0: Yeah, you know, I gotta tell you, as a serial entrepreneur, I wake up and I hit the ground running and I come home. And if, even whenever I turn the phone off from the business and I walk into the family on the farm where I live, it's like, no, we're going nonstop. I just think that's the way that God made certain ones of us. And I think we will probably die an early death. No, I'm just joking there. But, I uh, man, I doubt very seriously the guy ever rests. Uh, just because I know so many entrepreneurs with that personality type that when we wake up, it's let's go. Let's make this thing happen. So I, I doubt it, man. I don't think he rests.
1: Yeah, nice. So uh, you said you have a farm. Um, are you the type of guy that drives a tractor around? Up <laughs> off?
0: Yeah, so we um, yeah. I grew up in South Georgia in the swamps of South Georgia, right on the ocean, on the east coast of the United States, and moved up here to Tennessee after marrying my, my wife, and she's from here in the East Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee area lived in downtown Knoxville which is not my cup of tea I had to get to the country where I could see stars at night so <laughs> we bought some a track of land on the on the Tennessee River I can see barges go by carrying things up and down the river see the mountains off in the background but my love man is number one I can't see another house there's no one <laughs> around me we're about a mile off the, all the off the pavement on a gravel road you walk, you come into my house, it has chickens and goats and critters and turkeys. And there's deer everywhere. we got our dogs the rabbits, you name it. There's every critter out there. And yes, there is a tractor. When we bought that tractor four years ago, Quinn, it was like I heard the angels sing, dude. So now when <laughs> I come home at the end of the day, it's like, let me get on the tractor. Let me get out there and be Farmer Joe for a little while. And dude, it is a good way for me to unwind. So yeah, I could be a little bit of a farm boy. I'm a little country.
1: Uh, you know it's so fantastic that you say that because I grew up like that and I had a farm and uh, as as a kid I didn't appreciate it that much but yeah. grown up the last time I went there sitting on that tractor not because uh, my my parents said I had to but because I wanted to and just going down and you know uh, going through the vineyards and yeah. a tractor it was so relaxing I mean. You know, there was no screens in front of me, no computers, just the sound of that tractor. I'm like, that is so cool. I actually seen High Lopez not too long ago. He was running a tractor on his farm, and I'm like, maybe he's feeling the same thing that I was feeling. Just you know, no technology. Let's do this for a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's me, man. It's after a long week. You know, as a business owner, whenever you are consulting with other business owners, and whenever you're, you know, you have your team that's behind you and you're working with them. You pour everything you can in your business. What was the old saying that that we business owners will work 80 hours for ourselves to Mm -hmm. avoid working 40 hours for the man. You know, so at the end of the week, it's like, I'm done. Let me unplug. So, dude, the tractor, throw the bush hog on the back. get out there like this last weekend, we were out pushing logs up, my wife and I, and making this huge fire. Getting all sweaty and stinky. We're pushing the – I'm telling you, it's like heaven. I swear Mm -hmm. you hear the angels sing as soon as that tractor fires up.
1: Yeah. Good. So let's uh, getting into business here. Uh, What are the meaning of those uh, acronyms, the CFP, CEPA, CVGA? What does that mean?
0: Yeah. So they're all credentials. They are about master levels type credentials. So the most popular one in there is a CFP and that stands for certified financial planner. To my knowledge there's about 30,000, maybe a little bit more than that now, certified financial planners in the United States. Um, The certified financial planner is trained on how to take a client and walk them through a process that helps a client identify where they're at and where they want to be and then shows them systematically and quantifiably how to reach that. So you you see a lot of CFPs, certified financial planners, working for Wall Street style firms. A lot of the Mm -hmm. big names, they'll, they'll be money managers. Sometimes you'll see them at banks working in the banking world. In our firm, we work as a private company for business owners. So the Certified Financial Planner helps me to take a business owner and say, let's figure out where you're at today, figure out where you want to be, and let me show you how to get there. So that's the CFP. <laughs> the next one is the CEPA, and that stands for Certified Exit planning advisor, certified exit planning advisor. That credential, again, is master level credential. It's It teaches, or you learn in that credential, how to take a business owner and help them build their business so they can sell their business, right? So there's a lot mm-hmm. of statistics we'll probably dive into as we chase some rabbits today, but the CEPA is issued by the Exit Planning Institute. I'm actually on their faculty. I teach other financial advisors how to be a mm-hmm. CEPA. Um, so it's a really cool credential. And then the last one is CVGA, and that stands for Certified Value Growth Advisor. That's probably the one that is, to me, the most valuable for business owners. There's a statistic that says that 80% of our net worth, we business owners, 80% of our net worth is our business. See, what we do, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this boat with you, buddy, Quinn, is that I'll go in and I will work my fingers to the bone trying to make my company profitable but I do it to my own detriment. I don't save money in Wall Street type scenarios like employees would through their 401k. I pour Mm as much money back in my business. But if 80% of my net worth is my business, the scary statistic is that only 4% of us business owners will actually sell our business for what we think it's worth. So the CBGA, the Certified Value Growth says, I know how to appraise a business today. I know how to to design a business where that business can double or triple the enterprise value or the value of that business over a period of time. So when you put them all three together, the knowledge level that I run as the CEO of our firm is, we have CFPs who take the business owners, show them how to reach their personal goals. We have the exit planners who show business owners how to sell their businesses and make the profit they want. And we also have those of us who show business owners how to take their value of their company and systematically grow it so they can reach their own goals.
1: Very good. So it's not like with all those credentials, it's not like you you couldn't get a job somewhere else. Became an entrepreneur. You became an entrepreneur because you wanted to. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So I started my first business when I was fifteen, and it was uh, it was uh, my dad. Pretty much said, "Son, get a job or don't come home." Um, <laughs> he was very nice. I love my dad. I mean, he 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 rocked my world. I mean, the guy trained who you have today in front of you, or who you're listening, at, who who folks are listening to right now. But he basically taught me how to be an entrepreneur. He taught me a valuable lesson one day. He said, son, I want you to get a job. So I found this lawnmower, started cutting my neighbor's grass. And he came home from work, sweaty, stinky. I mean, he poured his heart out for his family that day. He sits down beside me. I'd had a shower. I'd worked for two or three hours. He said, son, you got a job today. What'd you do? I said, well, I cut Mr. Brown's yard, dad. And he goes, great. How much money did you make? I said, I made 40 bucks. He goes, you made 40 bucks. So oh, this is way back in 95, right? He goes, you made 40 bucks for cutting his grass? How long did it take you? Two hours. He said, put his hands on my knees. And he said, son, I want you to learn something. In two hours, you just made what your father worked six hours to make. He said, I want you to learn to work for yourself. And at that point, dude, I've been an entrepreneur ever since. So so I own businesses and then I I sold my business. I I found all the things I messed up on when I was selling it. So I'm like, there's got to be a way. I can show business owners how not to be that statistic, how they can grow their business and how they can systematically grow their net worth so that one day, whenever they do desire to sell the business or tra- pass the business down to their kids or do whatever it is, that they're not broke. So that's kind of how we got here today, brother.
1: Very good, so when it comes to your your part in the CEPA, I'm guessing when you, the most common question you get is, how much is my business worth? I'm guessing that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That typically you know, comes, I'm sorry. People don't really know what it's worth. Do they overestimate it or under? <laughs> um,
0: everybody I've ever met with, including myself, <laughs> candidly overestimate the value of our business. You know, um, my dad told me one time I was a teenager and we were working on a, on a job and he said, son, you never tell a woman her baby's ugly. And I was like, dad, what do you mean by that? He said, because every one of us have a baby, right? And our baby oftentimes is our business. Our business was wrapped up in, I mean, our identity is wrapped up in our business. I mean, like I said, we pour blood, sweat and tears in order to make this thing work. And all of a sudden you go to try to get a valuation and some guy in a suit and tie like me is going to say, Hey buddy, your business, you thought it was worth a million. It is only worth 300,000. And you're like, Dude, seriously. So, you know, most of us, most business owners overestimate the value of the business. Um, I wish it wasn't the case, but my job is to say, look, if you want it to be worth a million, let me show you how to get there.
1: You see? Mm-hmm. So I heard you say that business owners need to think about the end of their business at every stage of the business and even in startup. But most people, when they're starting up, they don't have, they don't, they don't think I'm going to start this because I want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
0: Yeah. You know what happens? Um, you know, we're coming into vacation season here before too long across the country and around the world. Most of the time, if we want to go on vacation, we spend a lot of time figuring out where we want to go, why we want to go Mm -hmm. there, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we look at all the contingency. Well, if the airplane doesn't fly there, can we drive? If we can't drive, can we take the boat? Are we going to go on a crew? Whatever that vacation is, we sit back and we already know before we ever take a part in that trip, what we're going to do on that vacation, or in my case, not do, sit on the beach and just read a book, right? For us business owners, what happens is we start our business. And then, like you and I were talking early on, we get busy. And before you know it, I mean, I'm sitting here now with three businesses. One is we just started now four businesses, and I've been doing this thing 25 years, dude. I'm only 41. Like 25 years have gone by. And before you know it, here we are, 50, 60 years old, and we all those things we wanted to do to build our net worth up, to set some cash back, to do whatever it is, It's, it's Tempest Fugitive. The old Latin term time flies or time is fleeting. It flies by so fast. So the, 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 the challenge that I try to preach and that the reason why clients engage us is they say, Hey, Justin, I don't want to be 70 years old and still working in my business. I don't want to be 60 years old. I had this grand idea that whenever I hit 50 years old, dude, I was going to travel the world and stay on every beach in the world. Well, great. If that's the goal, you go ahead and set your destination. You set your vacation destination, so to speak, using my analogy, way out there. You plan where you're headed. You see, nothing happens on accident in the world of business. It all is intentional. So if we're trying to get our business to some direct point that, that the ethos or the reason why we start our business, we have to outline it and say, here's where we're headed. Or else, no destination is any destination. So we have to be intentional. So, man, I always say, business owners, take a break where you're at right now. What are you going to do with this business? Are you, trying to, are you going to grow it to sell it? Are you going to grow it to pass it down to your kids? Are you going to grow it to create a lifestyle business that one day you're just going to just dissolve? You're going to do something. So what is it we're going to do?
1: Yeah, is it, Does it happen that people actually let a business dissolve? Yeah is somewhat successful.
0: Yeah, so actually I had one this last year. A prospective client calls in, um, 71 years old. I looked at the numbers and he said, hey man, I think my business is worth $1.4 million. I said, well, why do you think it's worth $1.4 million? Well, that's how much I have to have in order to retire. And I went, where'd you get that number from? Come to find out he needed like $2.3 million to retire. And I'm like, buddy, your business is only worth $800,000. And unless you're willing to do these following things, you're not going to be able to hit your goal. And he you could just watch the depression sink on his face. I said, why don't we do this? why don't we try to just grow the business a little bit, get a little bit of spread so you can take a little bit of vacation. And then whenever you hit this certain date, dissolve it or give it away because there really wasn't much there that he could sell in that particular business, nor Mm -hmm. did he have the energy to grow the business. So yeah, it it actually does. uh, Dissolution. um, It comes up a lot of times, Quinn, during divorces, if you're in family divorces, right. you'll have business separations and you'll have business dissolving. You have it with disagreements whenever you have multiple partners involved that they can't come to a proper exit. So in fact, I'm dealing with one of those right now. I've got four partners and they're squabbling like a bunch of kids. And so we're going to dissolve the business, sell out the hard assets and they just move on. There's really nothing as far as a business to sell.
1: So, What is the most important thing when valuing a business? I know there, there could be people out there that have sales that are so big. But in reality, there's no profits. Is Do sales really matter or is it all about profits?
0: Um, yes. Both of those answers are yes. Yes. Um, the most important thing in value in the business is this, single most. You have to, as a business owner, remove yourself from the epicenter of the business. You have to build that golden goose. If you want maximum value, To drive the value up. And so the most important thing in valuing the business is that the business needs to be autonomous without you, the business owner. See, the average quote business owner really is not, they don't own a business. The business owns them. They have something they can't sell because they're having to work nine to five, actually 12 to 12 every day to make sure they met their own, their own mess they created. So they don't have anything that a buyer will come in and buy typically. So if you're trying to drive the value up, yeah, profitability is great. You got to have profitability. Making sure that you can dominate your competition. Yeah, man, you got to have that. Making sure you can can scale the business so that the business is sustainable, that it's invulnerable from all the attacks that's going to happen in the economy or wherever else are all important. But transferability is up there near the top. And as business owners, we have to pull ourselves back and not get involved in the day-to-day operations. And that is the number one thing for driving the value of your company.
1: So the, when there's a professional buyer that's looking into your business, of course, there's several types of buyers, right? And right. I'm talking about the buyer that is in the business of buying businesses. Okay. What are the things that they're going to be looking for in mine or somebody else's business?
0: Yeah, so let's let's so answer your question. What are the things that makes the business attractive to the professional yeah. buyer, okay? Um, so it's got to be profitable, okay? There has to be an ROI, return on investment. So if they're going to pay dollars or create debt, they've got to be able to, to make the return they need for their capital, right? So if yeah. the stock market can yield 10%, that's not saying it can, but let's say, you know, use Dave Ramsey's number, let's say it yields 10%, then they want to have their business, if they're having more risk, they want to have it return more than 10 in that hypothetical illustration. So it's got to be profitable, number one. Number two, it's got to be competitive. It has to have a mark within its industry or within its micro industry to where it can dominate or impact the competition. It can't be a lagger within this industry. A professional buyer is not going to be interested in a laggard unless it's a value play. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. The business has to be scalable. Now, scalable means it has to be able to expand very quickly and retract very quickly which is systematization. So the easiest way I can talk about scalability is think about McDonald's, the golden arches, right? The hamburger place. Mm -hmm. They have the ability to where if I go to get a double cheeseburger at McDonald's in Portland, Oregon, it's going to be the exact same double cheeseburger I got in Tennessee or in Japan, Tokyo, right? So they have the ability to scale the bottle. Then they have the ability to back it back really fast. So that's the scalability. The professional buyer is going to look for sustainability. Does the, is the business fundamentally set up to where it can weather storms where it can sustain those things set forth by either congress a lot of times you have regulation changes policy politics uh economic issues etc it's got to be invulnerable to competition it's got to be invulnerable to things which can push similar sit codes similar business models out of the way and then finally it's got to be transferable Again, the number one thing that we business owners fail in is we, 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 we go back to McDonald's. We end up being the McDonald's brothers in this scenario. Mm-hmm. We learn how to cook a really good hamburger, and we take pride in cooking a really good hamburger. However, Ray Kroc comes along and says, dude, I don't care about the hamburger. I can make a better hamburger than McDonald's. No offense, McDonald's, I can. I can make a hamburger that'll make your tongue beat your brains out. It's so good, right? So probably so can you, Quinn. But... What I can't do is I can't teach a 16 year old in Portland and in Tennessee and in Tokyo, Japan, how to cook French fries without burning the restaurant down consistently. I can't build systems to the scale that McDonald's has today consistently. So being able to transfer that business away from my mind into somebody else's so those systems are in place. Number one thing the buyer's looking for.
1: And when it comes to buying or selling a business, and let's say two types of business, we're talking about a $100,000 business or one that's worth a couple million. Okay. The processes, are they the same or are there things that are a lot different?
0: Um, they can be the same or they could be different, okay? So that's and it depends. It depends on the type of industry. It depends on um, the, the, the competition at that point. So in most times, whenever you get ready to actually sell the business, The most common in both of those asset classes you mentioned is use a broker, almost like a real estate agent. They'll they'll look at your business and assess a value and then list it for you to try to sell. Whenever you get a little bit more valuable, when you have a little bit more revenue, then you're looking for what's called a merger and acquisitions advisor. You're now trying to move the company, maybe not to a mom and pop who is going to buy the business, Typically, it's five million or less as mom and pops as a round number. When you get over five million, then you're working with mergers and acquisitions advisors who are now trying to roll up your business into a bigger business, or they're trying to move to like a hedge fund or some you know private investing private private equity company.
1: So, how about uh, I'm guessing uh, when somebody is going to sell their their very first business, there there must be one thought that goes through all their minds is if there's somebody willing to pay for this right now, does that mean I'm going to miss out on what it could be worth uh, tomorrow?
0: Yeah. So let's back it up a little bit. When is the right time to sell a business? Because it doesn't matter. um, And dude, I've sold three. I know what it's like. I know the emotions. I remember walking down the beach when I got my first offer and I'm like 22 years old with my baby, right? My baby business going, holy crap, what am I fixing to do? Am I making the right move? Am I going to be able to replace this income? All those questions and emotions. At the end of the day, we business owners are trying to design a simple a simple um, uh, crossing point in our lives. We want our personal finances to be as solidified as possible so that when the opportunity approaches to where a potential buyer comes, that our business is prepared and our personal finances are prepared so that now we're taking the emotions out of the game and we're looking at it from a pure mathematical standpoint. Right? We're looking at mm-hmm. saying, okay, well, my business is growing at a, at a growth rate of 12% a year. If I do this right now, I may can move my positions into a 25%. I may can do something else or I may just retire and quit. It just depends. So you're just trying to find that, that intersection to where opportunity and preparedness cross is what you're trying to
1: do. Yeah. Very good. So what are, I guess, things to fix in our business? Uh, if you don't know what's wrong, you don't know what to fix, right? So there's always something That is the the factor that I like call the low-hanging fruit, the one that you can fix the easiest that's going to bring you uh, some value. What are some of those things that you see most common that people should put their attention in?
0: Um, The very first one I would say is planning. Um, When I say planning, I'm talking about building a quantified business plan that you're tracking on a year-by-year basis. So in in a quantified business plan, you're identifying your competition. You're looking at a pro forma of what your business should do going forward. You're pulling your KPIs, key performance indicators, I'm sorry, from your business and putting into the business plan. Number one is planning because if you can show that potential buyer, number one, what transpired over the last decade, that you can show how you arrive where you're at and that potentially will drive your business up. So mm-hmm. planning is, is huge. Number two, marketing. And I jump on marketing because of this. We business owners, uh, most of us, especially as entrepreneurs, we are a unique breed. We like to grab the bull by the horns, so to speak. And there's no one that can do our job better than us. And we, I'm speaking of Justin here, yeah. I want instant results because I can do it. I am capable of grabbing the bull by the horns and wrestling to the ground and tying him up. That's who I am. Marketing is not that way. So what we do with marketing oftentimes is we hear a buddy or a friend, or a competitor business that tried a technique, and it may have been in the same exact town or microeconomics that we're in or across the country, around the world, and we grab onto that and we throw dollars at it, expecting that it's going to give us a good return. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, that's a statistic I just made up Friends, You know, 99% <laughs> of the statistics made up on the side. But many times, many times, we just blew money. Whenever you stop as a business owner and build a true marketing plan, that identifies what you're trying to accomplish and identifies your specific target market. And then you implement the plan, measure the plan, quantify the plan, tweak the plan. Then you end up driving your value up. You know, most people will say, hey, Justin, what about operations? Don't we need to have efficiency in operations? You know, it's my experience is that's one of the highest scoring areas in evaluation is operations. They'll say, what about your team? Should your team be awesome? Yep, it should be. It should be the best team that you can orchestrate. We know that. Mm -hmm. We business owners realize how valuable our team are to our success and to the success of the company. So we naturally focus on that. We naturally focus on finance and risk management like taxes. I'm sorry, like legal documents and insurances. But where we miss, nine times out of 10, when I go into a problem, I can come back and say they didn't plan the business outright and they didn't market efficiently. So those are the two keys I would say focus on.
1: Very good. So, Justin, you are a two-time winner of Investopedia 100 Advisor Award, and you also won the Leader of the Year Exit Planner Leader of the Year uh, Award as well. So that's going to bring a lot of publicity to you, and that means a lot of businesses come to you to increase their value. Yep. What is kind of maybe the number one issue that you found on all or most of them?
0: It's going to, it's fatigue, candidly, but it goes back to owner reliance. It goes back to the business is not transferable. Hey, look, let me be completely open and honest. My business last year grew 400%. That is a heck of a business increase. Yeah. The problem that you have in any business, whether it's a slow moving business or a fast moving business is if you're dealing with slow bit moving, then you're able to build all the systems, but yet you don't have the clientele. and So therefore you're, you're going to go out of business because of the revenue. If you're in a fast moving business, then you're having to plug the holes in the boat as many fingers as you can to plug the holes. Ultimately, though, what happens on the majority of businesses that come to us, they'll say, hey, Justin, look, exactly. Man, you have some national variety. My business is suffering, dude, help. And whenever I jump into it, I start looking at the examination. What happens nine times out of 10, again, there's a, there's a statistic I just made up for it, Gwen, is we have built the business where every facet of the business relies upon me, the business owner, or you, the business owner. And it's hard. I'm talking from emotions and real life experience here. It is hard as an entrepreneur to trust people. That's Justin speaking. It is hard. To sit across from a business owner and say, I realize that you're really good at sales and I want you to hand that off. That's hard for us business owners. And so what happens? If they listen, then we can help them grow and double their net worth every three to five years. That's my goal. But many times being a business owner is just hard because we we built ourselves into a niche where the business and every facet of the business is relying upon us. Hence the problem that most of us don't have businesses we can sell. So if I look into the x-ray, it's that we built our businesses solely where they require us to be involved in that business. Do
1: You ever figure out how we could uh, get rid of that mentality? Like, yeah,
0: there is a way. There is a way. Because
1: I suffer from that too, right? And I guess yeah. probably still do sometimes because you know, there's a task that I need to get done and I know how to do it. So if I go do it, of course it gets done, but then I will be the businesses depending on me. Uh Yeah.
0: So go back, go back to the very first questions you were asking about the designation. Okay. So Gary Vaynerchuk, we mentioned him earlier, right? Mm
1: -hmm. I was
0: listening to him in a live event. He was talking about when I agree, I was like, man, I wanted to like sing amen right there. Like it was in church, right? He he made the statement. He said, the reason why your business will not succeed is because you have sucked all the life out of it. You, the business owner. So go back to that CFP, the certified financial planner. The very first thing that I have to, to teach is that a business owner, we have to condense their life so that we're not sucking all the life, all the extra money out of the business. And we can redeploy that money back into those strategic areas. The answer to how do you move yourself from the epicenter, from the very center of your business, is you have to divert some funds back into the business and invest in it, whether it be systems, people, training, technology, marketing, finance, whatever it may be. And there's a whole litany of things. So what I'm able to show people is, Okay, we're going to do an appraisal on your business. Here's what we know your business is worth today. Here's what we know you want your business to get to. And if we follow these step number one, it increases the value of your business twenty percent. If we hit step number two, your value of business went up forty percent. And I'm able to quantify for us business owners who are very who are very bullheaded sometimes, if I may be mm-hmm. candid, that those dollars that we want to take our big beach vacation, or our ski trip, or buy another tractor with, if we deploy <laughs> this back in the business. We can watch that value grow up and actually build a business that can run without us involved on a daily basis. But it goes back to, we've got to quit sucking all the money out of the company and reinvest the money back into it.
1: Yeah. I want to go a little bit off track. Uh, Something I saw uh, that you posted, and it was about when you have a business, let's say family business and you are giving your child uh, money for whatever, for stickers or something, you should instead uh, give them a salary. <laughs> so does that mean you should hire your kids if, if they are good at it? I, I
0: most definitely agree with that. So there's a, there's a number of reasons for that. The first one is is because I want to teach my children while they're still in my home what it's like to be a business owner. They may never be a business owner. They may never, but what they'll do is number one, they'll learn the they'll learn the struggles we business owners have. And if they never own a business, they're going to be one heck of an employee because they're going to understand the challenges that that business owner goes through. So I want my children to understand this world of business. So they can be a really stellar employee one day or a really good business owner. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, with the internal revenue code at this point, A miner can make, depending on the structure, you got to have the right entity structure in place, but a miner can make $12,000 and many times to begin the structure, there are zero taxes due on that money. So if, if I hire my kids, theoretically speaking, and they, and they are doing a legitimate job, you can't just make something up. They got to be working. My, so my, my daughter, she, she deals with social media for me. My son does our shopping for us and our company. My little nine-year-old, he comes in and does all the cleaning of the company. He does all the shredding. He does everything within our office. That's his job. And yeah. they get paid. Now, I'm a mean dad. I got to tell you, I am, <laughs> I'm a hardcore farmer, right? So I make my kids buy their own food. I make my really? kids buy their own clothes. I make my kids buy their own Legos. But ultimately what I'm doing is I'm taking the money that normally I would get paid taxable money and then go yeah. buy those things. I'm teaching them how to work and I'm teaching them that life is not this, this trophy mentality that they can just go out and win a trophy for doing nothing, right? The participation yes, yeah. trophy. I want them to realize that your daddy and your mama and you all get up every morning and we work. Because the rest of our life, we're going to learn to work. And then whenever we purchase something, with our hard-earned dollars, we can only spend that dollar one time. And that one time has got to go to necessity. It's got to go to pleasure. It's got to go to giving. It's got to do all those things. So I'm a, I'm a mean dad. I want my kids to learn stewardship, and I want them to learn hard work. And again, if they never become an employee, I mean, if they never become a business owner and they're employees, they're going to be great. Because at the end of the day, they've learned how to work from the time they're little. And they're, tell me, dude, Quinn, I mean, you and I were business owners, right? How hard is it to find employees that know how to work? I mean, that's the number one complaint I hear from business owners. So the reason why I say hire your kids as a business owner is a great tax play. Talk to your tax advisor about it. But number two, you can train your children this passion that I have and that I know you have, Quinn, on the fundamentals of business and impact their lives for the rest of their life.
1: Yeah, I uh, have huge respect for that because that's something that uh, not only I agree with, I I thought about doing, although my kids are still uh, too small, my oldest is six and then I have two or both two-year-olds. But I thought about doing that because you you're going to give them the money anyway, right? If, if they need something, they have to get it. Uh, but at least if they think that they are working for it and it's their money they earn it. Uh, yeah, I want them to have a great mentality when it comes uh, to the future when they grow up and I don't want, I'm not a fan of participation medals. I mean, in society now that they seem to want to offer medals to everybody, but at least I want them to know that not everything is easy. But if you're dedicated, you can make it easy because uh, a lot of people stop at the very first barrier to entry. Yep. So if my kids learn how to jump a couple barriers, we'll be better off than most.
0: You know, and Quim, just to kind of just not to belabor the thought, but but here's what I would point you to. If you start your children out at a young age, even your six-year-old, depending on your business, you could have your six-year-old just use some Windex and clean the windows and give them 50 bucks. And that's their job. If you start them out young enough, they never know what it's like to not work. Think about that. They never develop this entitlement theory. They're not dealing with like the majority of the of the of the children these days, and the teenagers these days is like, "Hey, mama, give me, give me, give me, give me, no, you go get a job no you've trained them from the time they're young on how to work mm-hmm. and how to respect what mom and dad or mom or dad or mom whoever is sacrificing for that family, and you come back to a dude it, what, I'm gonna get on a soapbox here real quick, Quinn, but here's one of the things. Retirement is a relatively new term. It wasn't but 100 years ago when we weren't talking about this balanced lifestyle, right? The kids would go work in the garden with mom and dad all day long and go to school on top of. They were an integral part of the family. It wasn't for the last 20 years, and now all of a sudden, our kids run around and play sports all the time while mom and dad driving them crazy all around the country. I'm sorry. I'm off my soapbox now, people. Forgive me. That's my opinion. Feel free to make it yours. Tell me I'm crazy. Go on Twitter, Justin Gilbert, and tell me I'm psycho, but Quinn, I'm man, I'm with you. Teach your kids to work.
1: <laughs> so, Justin, let's talk a little bit about the ultimate sell. That is your is your first and last book that you launched. Uh, what's it, what's in it?
0: Yeah, so it's our first book. We have another couple of books coming out here very soon. Um, <laughs> the first book talks about where we're at today as a business owner. It it takes a business owner and asks them the question: what are you going to do with this business? And it shows you systematically what it takes, almost like in a reference manual what it takes to take your business today and get it through the sales process. I go through tricks and tips on things to be aware of. Why, uh, for example, why today especially, everybody's getting offers from businesses or from vendors saying, hey, I want to buy your business. It's happening all the time. Why is that the case? And what are they really up to? It's called a retrade. So we'll talk, I go through those various things. Ultimately that we business owners realize that, look, this asset that we call a business it is not going to sell unless you take intentional access and intentional uh, methodology into creating it to where it can sell. It's not. 16% of businesses, 16% of businesses sell. That's it. And only 4% of businesses sell for what the owner thinks they're worth. That is ridiculous. So that's what the book's telling you how to move past that.
1: Very good. I got to check that out because there's something that you mentioned that uh, I want to find out. It's, uh, when we start getting offers to uh, to sell or to buy our business when the business is not even for sale yep. and yep. i 've got a few of those in a uh, amazon business uh, basically it 's private label business that sells on amazon and my my sales or my revenues are not public yep i 've been getting offers to the people who want to buy the business so they 're not even know, they don 't even know what it 's worth yet. And I'm not in the selling stage. So I want to know what that is all about.
0: Yeah, check it out. I've got a whole, I think there's four or five chapters dealing with around that topic right there, Quinn.
1: Awesome. So where can I find it and everybody else?
0: Sure. Um, So it's on Amazon. You're welcome to check it on Amazon. And I did do a Kindle recording. I'm sorry. uh, um, uh, What's it called? Uh, Recording. The Audible. Audible recording. Let me tell you, dude, that was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. To talk to myself for like 40 hours and they condensed it down to seven hours. I had the guy who was doing the editing. He's like, "Dude, you're killing me. This is so long." Story short, it ended up being really good. But just on Audible, and nonetheless, if you want to listen to my my great voice for like seven hours, feel free. Just don't drive anywhere long distance; you'll go to sleep. But it's uh, the book's <laughs> on Amazon. You can find it through Financially Simple. That's the that's the portal hub on Financially Simple it has over twelve hundred articles there for business owners on every topic that you can just about think about. In fact, if you find some a topic that I haven't written on reach out to me on social, go through, the, go through the connect with Justin and let me know the topic because I'm trying to make sure every possible topic is in that blog. So check out Financially Simple as well. And
1: uh, Financially Simple is where they can find the connect with Justin?
0: Yeah, yeah, go on Financially Simple. It says connect with Justin. You can also, through any social media channels, all you got to look for good bread and I'm there on everything out there. Um, so yeah, Financially Simple. There's also the Financially Simple podcast where we're in third season right now. We're answering listener questions. So various kind of fun. I'm actually having a lot of fun with this one. Just various questions that are coming up from business owners and we're diving deep and answering the questions. So if you just Google Justin, you can just about find me anywhere out there right now.
1: There you go. Uh, You can Google Justin Goodread or you can check out the show links and I'll have everything there from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. I'll have everything there. Justin, Man, it was a pleasure. We got to do this again because we didn't even get into taxes and other things and tips uh, and tractors. Maybe we should do <laughs> about tractors. But uh, um, yeah, we'll we'll get into that pretty soon. So thank you very much.
0: Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me.